Right on. Well, thanks, folks, for tuning in. You know you're in for a treat when you hear that music because it's time for another week of the Rec Poker Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Reed, Bluff Serini in the home game. And if you want to find out more about me and the rest of the Wrecking crew here, you can go to rec.poker slash crew. And if you don't know what Rec Poker is, we are a community of amateur poker players. We're serious poker players. We love the game. We love winning. And we love having fun and sharing our love of poker with the world. And we do that with the help of Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino and Website Amp. We also do it with the help of some of our premium members at uh, Rec Poker, um, like Stephen Michaels, who signed up recently. I haven't had a chance to meet Stephen yet. But uh, Stephen, I hope you're having a good time enjoying the videos and the strategy conversations. And uh, reach out anytime, man. Jim at rec.poker. Don't be a stranger. Um, And folks like Doug Behrens, who's been a member for a while and has been really helpful when it comes to Chris Jones' mission to restructuring the website and how we produce content and how we share that content with our members. Um, So, Doug, thank you so much for sharing those insights and being such a bright light here at Rec Poker. So speaking of bright bright lights here at Rec Poker, uh, Wrecking Crew members, why don't you sound off and tell the world where they can come and find you? Uh, Well, I'm Chris Jones. You can find me on 5B5 on Twitter or 5x5 on the PokerStars home. And I'm John Somsky, also known as PokerGeekMN everywhere. And I'm Kim Kilroy, Fergie56 on the home game, PetVet, PetVet33 everywhere else. And I'm Rob Washam, and I'm Rabman50 just about everywhere. All these professionals getting their handles all lined up everywhere. It's really impressive. Well, like I said, I've got the best job in the world. I get to hang out here every week and talk to the luminaries of the poker world. Uh, this week's going to be a real treat. Um, Evan Jarvis, who if you've been in the poker world uh, at all, you know him. He's been uh, the genius behind Gripst. Uh, he's got a YouTube channel. He's been involved in poker training sites in pretty much every corner of the poker world. He's been doing it for a long time. Uh, Evan. I can't believe this is the first chance we get to talk. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's it's pretty wild, Jim. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the opportunity. It's really nice that the stars have all aligned and yeah. we get to be here together today. I'm I'm already having a blast. This is great. <laughs> I love what you got going on here. <laughs> That's awesome, man. So we've got more in common than you might think. Um, you live in Toronto at the moment. Is that right? Sure do. I'm born and raised here. Basically been here about 30, 35, 36 years now. Amazing. Yeah, I grew up in Toronto. I love the city. I live just a little east of there now. And um, it's a great it's a great place. Um, Have you lived there your whole life or have you traveled around and lived elsewhere? Yeah, so I grew up in High Park. Uh, That's where I was born and raised. Um, I've, you know, and then I've I've traveled to Vegas many years for the World Series of Poker. I've done like a little bit of traveling. I did kind of a year between high school and university. I lived in Europe for a year there. So that was kind of fun. I've had my trips around the corners of the globe. I think I've been lucky to hit pretty much every continent at least once. Um, I actually, I'm not sure. I don't think I've been to South America yet, but I want to do like mm. a tour of South America. So I think it'd be amazing. But yeah, I grew up in High Park and then I moved downtown and I've lived in five different parts of downtown. And now I'm on the lakeshore, but I'm still downtown. Yeah, so, right on. Nice. <laughs> I'm a Toronto guy. And you're surviving all the lakeshore madness that's going on down there right now. Uh, I'm pretty, I just stay off the roads that are absolutely <laughs> crazy and completely falling apart. I found a place that's nice and on the water. Um, I, I thought I was going to be in trouble when I found the place a year ago that my landlord said, I'm moving in, you got to move. And I'm like, oh man. Mm. And I actually was looking at moving to Niagara Falls, maybe. 
because I've had really nice times in Niagara Falls. You know, they got the poker, they've got the nature. It's fantastic. You're by the border. You can get the cheap flights, restaurants, hospitality. And, um, you know, tried to try to go for a mortgage and the banks just they they weren't really about uh, they're like, yeah, this whole poker thing. I'm like <laughs> business. They're like, we see poker. And I'm like, all right. All right. So I, I had to find another rental. And I was so lucky. I had about three weeks to find one. I went on Kijiji after looking at all the regular rental sites, you know, how Sigma and all that. There was one in the complex that I lived in. And I went to check it out. I'd seen it for sale three months ago when I was looking for places to buy. I go check it out. It's all right. And the, uh, the woman showed me, says, hey, when do you need to move? I'm like, two weeks. She's like, okay. Because this one's not available for six, but there's another one in the complex that's available in two weeks. And you know what? I didn't even have to walk down the street to move my stuff is how close it was. And I'm like, yes. Because I found what I feel for me is the perfect place to live in the city if I'm going to stay in the city. And I was so sad at the idea that I might have to leave. Mm. And then the universe like, nah, 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 kid, you're all right. Just (laughs) just keep doing what you're doing. Stay where you are. You're just fine. We like to have you here. So I got got lucky and here I am. There you go. Good, clean living, man. You must be running. You're running good all over. (laughs) <laughs> all over, man. I, I think I'm one of the luckiest people in the world, honestly. Yep. Yep. I hear that. So, so some of our, I mean, I know our members have heard your name or they've seen a video or something. I was yeah. thinking about how I was going to introduce you on the show tonight, but how would you describe yourself? How would you describe your your place in the poker world and uh, sort of the, the trajectory that's brought you here? I mean, I've always been a bit of like an entrepreneur and I've always been in the business of how can I make money on the internet? Yeah. Ever since I was a kid, you know, I love the computer. I love being online. And I'm like, I bet I can make money on here. There's got to be a way that I can make money on here. And it started out with all advantage. You could get paid to surf the internet if you ran an ad on your computer. So I did that. And, um, you know, I went to college, found online poker. It started right when I went to college. So I'm like, okay, here's the thing. I'm good at cards. I told my grandma when I was young, I was going to grow up and get paid to play video games. Maybe this is it. Maybe poker is it. So I started playing poker. That went well. Then I found affiliate marketing within poker. And I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. I can do that whole sales stuff too. And I basically took the business approach within poker. So I've been a pro poker player. I've been an affiliate marketer within poker. And then as an affiliate marketer within poker, there were two things I had to think about. One, how can I bring more players to to the, the partners that I'm working with? Uh, and two, how can I ensure that, you know, they can play more? So I needed to get a lot of reach, which is why I built a website. And then people told me I should get on YouTube. And I realized, you know, I got to be able to teach people to do what I do. So it just kind of happened organically that I said, okay, it makes sense to start making YouTube videos. So I started making YouTube videos. And then at one point, uh, I was kind of in, in, in a funk. So I asked my friend what I should do. He said, you should start streaming on Twitch. Just start coaching people on Twitch, start streaming every single day and coach someone on Twitch. That's a good thing to do. It'll build a community. So I started doing that and getting the fun of that. So I've jumped from being a cash game player to you know, a web a website guy, to a YouTuber, to a Twitch person, to them working with Jonathan, both on Excelling at No Limit Hold'em, uh, working on PokerCoaching.com, and writing this book, Mastering Small Stakes Cash Games, and then also within the streaming realm, I try other things too. I try to learn other games and learn other communities. Mm. And you know, I did a big thing with marbles on stream. Now I'm playing ice poker and getting in the metaverse. I'm just someone who loves learning Mm. and loves sharing what I learned. So, you know, I think the reason you figured it's kind of hard to introduce me is because I'm all over the place. People (laughs) like, so what do you do? I'm like, I do a lot of things. And they're like, (laughs) yeah, but like, what's your job? I'm like, 
I, I, I guess I'm like an influencer, a teacher, a coach, like an online marketer. Like there's too many things to say. So yeah, I'm just a guy who loves learning, loves teaching, loves sharing, loves playing games. And to me, business is just another game and life is just another game that I can play well. So I guess at the end of the day, I'm a gamer. Mm. And mm-hmm. poker was the game that I have spent the most time playing over my lifetime. And, you know, one of the ones that was the most lucrative and had money involved. So it made sense to put a lot of time into poker, mastering poker as best I could. I yeah. love that. And I want to talk about, um, I want to talk about the book here, Mastering Small Stakes Cash Games. Yeah. Got a copy right here. Nice. Um, so cash, we talk a lot about poker strategy in yeah. terms of tournaments um, over here, because I think a lot of recreational players like the kind of uh, yes. the, the rush of that big multiplier, you know, getting that big bink. Yeah. But the more people, the more you play poker, the more seductive, the sort of slow, slow uh, increase grind of the cash games uh, uh, pulls people, I think. And mm-hmm. so can you talk a little bit about sort of the difference between tournament play and cash play? And, and when you're when you're writing a book specifically about cash games, um, how do you kind of factor that into your strategy advice? Yeah, 100%. So um, let me start with uh, a story. And that's when I started playing poker in college. I was playing sit and goes, and I was playing multi table tournaments. And then card runners came out and they were all talking about cash games. And I'm like, what are these cash game things they're talking about? I've never played cash games before. So I watched a few videos and just started to start playing cash games and said, oh my God, this is it. I don't have to put in the same amount of hours. I don't lose 90% of the time. I can be more consistent. I have control over my schedule. I don't only get a five minute break every hour. Like I have full flexibility and freedom and I can load up as many games as I want because they're all the same. I don't have to be like, oh, I'm at the early stages, mid stages, late stages. There are fewer variables. So once I found play, once I found cash games, I just said, this is it. This is the bread and butter. This is where it's at. So cash games are much more consistent than tournaments are. You're going to get your expected value much more frequently. It's easier to nail down what your hourly is. It's easier to control, you know, moving up, moving down limits. But it's certainly not as exciting. You know, and when we're only playing one game, we're playing once a week, whatever, we might we might want more excitement. And so, you know, I played cash, got into it. And to get more excitement, I'd play more tables and build it up and build the limits. And a really good thing is setting hand challenges, setting goals to put a game within the game. So you're like, okay, there's purpose to this session. I'm trying to get 10,000 hands. I'm trying to get 100,000 hands. But so cash games are more consistent. You have control over a lot more. At the end of the day, there are fewer variables and there's certainly less variance and the fact that you can also game select much more effectively, uh, time select more effectively, you have control over your session. You, you can get many more edges in cash games easily than you can in tournaments. Tournaments, you can get the edge if you happen to get deep and you know, you're playing against people who aren't comfortable playing for that kind of money and you're comfortable playing for that kind of money, but you have to be comfortable with a lot more variance. So I, I played cash for those reasons. I just realized, okay, career-wise, this makes more sense. But I'll tell you something funny, Jim. When I got really lucky in 2012 and Greg Merson won the main event and I had a 2% swap with him (laughs) and I suddenly had a big score, I said, oh, what's my motivation now to grind out? You know, I don't know what my hourly was at the time. Maybe it was 50, maybe it was 100. I don't know. It was probably somewhere around there. But I said, what's my motivation to grind that out when I just had this big win and I'm attached to this high? So... I 
decided I was going to go after tournaments. While Greggy, ironically, was like, I'm going to keep setting goals and keep playing cash games because I love cash games. I forgot to keep setting the goals. <laughs> I said, oh, tournaments seem sweet. Maybe I can get a big score. And I went to switch to tournaments. And I went from having a super consistent lifestyle, working <laughs> out consistently, doing yoga consistently, eating well, good sleep schedule. I play at these times and these times afternoon because there's a lot of action in the evening because sometimes the games are soft to being a complete wreck, man. Mm-hmm. You know, and being so stressed out because, you know, when you're playing one tournament a week, that's different. You're playing a live tournament every few months. That's different. You know, you're going there, you're going to have fun. But when you're looking for consistent income from playing poker, playing tournaments, it's so stressful and so stringy. I just remember every time I'd get away, I'd be like, ah, that's a relief. I'd get a win. That's a relief. I didn't even want to track my results. They were so swingy. And I remember after doing this for four years. 2013 was when I committed to tournaments. 14, 15, 16 was when I had my two, you know, big scores, uh, 30,000 in the supersonic and 160,000 at Niagara Falls. And after I had those, I (laughs) hate to say this, but it's the truth. Instead of feeling like the excitement, that was amazing. This is great. The ride there was awesome. All I felt was relief. Like, oh my God, I actually got through that. I actually got a score (laughs) from doing all this. I'm going to reevaluate. And that's why I went to focus on business. That's why I went to focus on learning some health stuff, yoga, meditation, because I realized that these tools really, really benefit me and I could live a healthier lifestyle. Um, and I also realized, okay, you know, the steady grind of cash games is, is something that I would prefer to be doing. And so I started moving more towards, towards that. And then this, the story about the book is Byron... You know, I'm at the World Series. I'm watching Negreanu at uh, the final table of it was either the 50k or the 100k, whichever the high roller was, and he'd sold action because I was still, even though I wasn't playing a lot of tournaments, I was kind of taking. I was still in that tournament mode of like, yo, I just want scores. You know, you can kind of get like hooked on that. I just want the high of that. So I bought some of Daniel's action, and I'm sitting there like front row, being like, I'm just gonna watch my horse like win this thing. I think he ended up getting second, and I get a message from Jonathan being like, Hey, do you want to come talk to my publisher? Like, they want to talk to you about something. I'm like, Oh. Cool. I guess, you know, they probably want me to write a book because I wrote a chapter in Excelling. That was cool. And, you know, I've been working with poker coaching for about a year now and it's going well. So maybe they want me to write a book. And, and so I went to meet them and I said, Hey, Evan, would you like to write a book with us? And I said, Yeah, all right. It sounds cool. You know, I've, I've always wanted to write a book. I never thought I'd be able to, but this seems like a good opportunity, good partnership. I'll go for it. And they said, All right, we're thinking, we're thinking about mastering small stakes tournaments. And I said, No. And they're like, <laughs> What, what do you mean? No, <laughs> you play tournaments. I'm like, yeah, but if I'm going to write a book and encourage people to do something, I want to teach them about cash games because that's the one that in my life I had steady gains, mm-hmm. steady mood, much more control. And anytime I had major downswings, you know, $30,000 downswings. Cause I was like, I'm going to go to the world series. I'm going to be a superstar. I'm going to win a bracelet. I'm going to play all the tournaments. It's like, what are you doing, man? So I said, I, tournaments are cool. And you know, I play them. I'm all for playing tournaments, but as the main thing, cash games are a much healthier thing to be grinding for, for mental sanity and just for control. And so I said, you know, I'd rather write one about cash games. They said, okay, that's great. But Jonathan just wrote one about cash games. Jonathan says, that doesn't matter, dude. You can still write a book on cash games and they can go together. And so I'm like, really? He said, yeah. I'm like, okay, cool. Then I'll write a book on cash games and I can include everything about the lifestyle and the professionalism because that was, you know, what, what afforded me the ability in life to have more free time, more control over everything was that I committed to cash games 
and also a little bit of business on the side. And I said, okay, these are the things I want to put into a book. Tournaments was about chasing glory for me. And, you know, I got my rushes, but man, was it stressful. And uh, there, there, <laughs> there's a reason I'm much, I'm much more, I'm much bigger on encouraging people to play cash games if they're trying to do it full time. But if they're doing it for fun, tournaments all day, because, nice. because that's where you get the excitement. There's nothing more exciting than being the last player standing. And whether it's a six person sit and go or a 600 man tournament, when you're the last player standing and the final card is dealt and you get all the chips pushed to you, you feel like a superstar and you don't get that feeling in cash games because cash games are never ending. So cash games almost require us to set these mini goals to, to remind us kind of what we're playing for. Cause they can seem kind of monotonous and whatnot to give it more meaning. Whereas tournaments, it's very clear who won the tournament. And if you won the tournament, you're going to feel like a superstar and it's nice to feel like a superstar once in a while. So <laughs> I, I, I love, I love, I love them both. They both have their places from, uh, and, and the cool thing about cash games, if you learn to be a great cash game player, it's not that hard to learn the adjustments to be a decent tournament player. Mm. But if you mm-hmm. learn everything about tournaments, yeah, I find it can be, it's still much harder to transition to cash games because in my experience, tournaments are a lot more about, you know, going for it, being able to play these short stacks, being comfortable with all in. And, you know, there's a bit more of a, an excitement attached to it that just, it's just not there in cash games. And I find people often get bored if they switch to cash games after being big on tournaments. So that's my experience. I don't know if it's the same as everyone's experience. I hope, I hope I reasonably answered the question. Yeah, man, I think that's exactly, I think you just get at exactly that sort of um, the experience that these that recreational players like us are, are looking for or shopping for in that. Um, yeah. So Kim's got one question, but I want to yeah. take this segue before. So what, what are some of the ways that you might play differently in a cash game specifically? Cause I think most of our, most of our listeners are going to be in that ladder group that you described who, who start playing in tournaments and now they're going to look to adjust in, in cash games. So like, what are some of the biggest mistakes they're going to make or what are some of the biggest tips you can give them to come across? Right. So cash games versus tournaments, number one, a lot more patient. Mm. The fact that there are no antis encourages tighter, more selective play. The fact that the stacks don't get as short uh, encourages tighter and more selective play. In cash games, a lot of it is, you know, thinking about playing for, thinking about setting up for playing for the stacks, mm-hmm. thinking about setting up for being on the right side of the coolers. In tournaments, a lot of the time, it's about winning the pot right now, winning the pot on the flop, winning the pot pre-flop, because it's a significant pot relative to your stack as stacks get shallower pre-flop and flop. Whereas in cash games, because things are so deep, it's not as big a deal to be, you know, losing pots pre-flop and on the flop because it's so insignificant relative to those bets on the turn in the river. So to, to, to play well in cash games and do well in cash games requires being very disciplined on the later streets. And that a lot of that can be helped by being selective preflop mm. and being really, uh, really valuing position. And another, I mean, th- this one carries over from tournaments to cash games. They're both the same, but you know, I find targeting the right players to be very important in cash games for me something that you do in cash games that you don't even have really the option to do in tournaments, picking your table, mm-hmm. picking your seat, mm-hmm. getting, getting position, getting what we call the Jesus seat on the table. <laughs> if it's available where you got direct position on the person who's dumping the most buy-in. So you have the option to isolate that player and play pots with that player as often as possible when they're repipping 50, 70, 90 or whatever. So doing a lot of those, those things that you don't even have the option to do in tournaments. And then once you get there, 
being extremely patient mm. and really recognizing you're playing for the later streets most of the time. And in terms of the early street stuff, a lot of it's image building. And another thing with um, cash games is that you're often, when the session starts, you're also playing for four hours in, six hours in, eight hours in, 10 hours in, because that's when people are going to start, you know, getting tilted, getting tired, losing their mind, making mistakes. And you want, you'll really benefit if you set up an image or a dynamic where they're not going to play well versus you. Whereas in tournaments, we don't necessarily have that same luxury because that player might be gone in an hour. They might be gone in 30 minutes. The stacks are shallow. So you kind of have to like do things to get it while you can. Um, whereas cash games, you know, the player might bust and they might reload. They might reload 10 times. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So a lot of what I find for cash games, which somewhat applies to tournaments too, but is playing for the end of the session. In tournaments, you think about playing for the end of the day. If there's five levels in the day, I'm kind of chilling and gathering information for levels one, two, and three. And after dinner break, I'm turning on for level four and five because that's when the stakes are higher. And that's when other people are going to be more fatigued. Um, so a lot of planning ahead, really, really being disciplined with your ranges, really valuing position, and uh, recognizing that when you know stacks are really deep, if you have position, if you're against the right player, you can get pretty creative and wide pre-flop so just don't get crazy on the turn and river mm-hmm. so be willing to play the turn and river really well um i think would be the best the best advice i can give on that front and in tournaments you rarely even play the river right all the chips are in by that yeah. anyway on the short yeah. stacks so yeah big difference yeah. i like that um yeah. kim you had a question for evan yeah hi evan nice to meet you i'm from stoville so oh, just right north of you yeah um I've been on your stream a few times, really exciting. And it's got a lot of energy to it. Um, I wanted to ask you, there's new rules coming into Ontario that's going to significantly affect the player pool here and wondering how that's going to affect your uh, job. My, my, yeah, my, my, my current, my current business, my current career. Uh, Thanks, Kim. Great question. I've been doing, I've been doing a little bit of research on it. And I was, I was obviously very, very sad at first when I heard the news that, um, you know, we were going to get cut off from the rest of the world in terms of player pool. And then I, then I called around, checked with some friends. So first guy I talked to was Greggy because he's someone who moved to New Jersey so that he could play in the ring fenced pool. And he said, this is a good thing for you. He said, if you're playing cash games, it's actually a good thing because the cash games tend to be a little softer than they would be otherwise when you have the international pool in there. The tournaments aren't as big, but I don't play as many tournaments. These days, I'm mostly just a home game guy. I like to keep it light. I like to keep it fun, low stress. So losing out on the big tournaments doesn't matter so much to me. But when he reminded me that the cash games are actually probably going to be better, it reminded me that I actually want to get even more into cash games and kind of kind of recommit myself to them because this actually might be a good opportunity to uh, get in there. When it's a smaller player pool, you have the ability to get to know all the regs pretty quickly. And it's easier to know when, when, um, you know, someone who rarely plays is coming on and it's, it's, it's just nice when you know how everyone plays, it's, it's much easier to play well. And most money that I made was playing on a smaller network named the on game network. Anyway, it used to be pokerroom.com, Hollywood poker, tower gaming were a few of the names of the skins. And the great thing was there were maybe 20 regulars 
Mm-hmm. And you knew who all the regulars were <laughs> and you knew who the randoms were who came in where, and, and so I had a good feel for how to play there. But when I would go play on poker stars or full tilt where I didn't know anyone and the player pool was so big, it was so much harder. Yeah. So I actually find from a cash game perspective, it's probably better now how it affects me directly in terms of my job, my understanding and it could be wrong, but my understanding is that uh, since America's Cardroom is an unregulated site, and since America's Cardroom has been able to operate in the States the whole time, they're probably going to be able to continue to operate in Ontario as well. So in terms of big tournaments, uh, I do believe, and I, I could be mistaken, but I do believe that America's Cardroom will be able to continue to offer big tournaments, the Venom, Million Dollar Sundays, all that. I believe that... Uh, Bodog will probably still be able to continue to operate and the bet online will still be able to continue to operate. So those, those sites that were kind of just doing their thing anyway, I think we'll still do their things in Ontario. So in terms of the main site that I play on, I believe I'll still have access to it, but regardless of whether I have access to it or not, I'm actually excited about maybe having a smaller player pool and just see what it looks like. And getting, getting back into cash games where it says, okay, I can actually know who everyone is as mm-hmm. opposed to there being a million players and it's just too overwhelming. It's too hard to figure it out because that's that's what I found uh, challenging about the big sites. And that's why I generally stuck to small sites was, okay, I can understand the lay of the land. I can understand this environment and therefore I can know my kind of place within it, uh, who I want to play with, who I want to avoid and um, you know what tables are good and what tables are not. Does that... Uh, yeah, that, that's great. That yeah. Um, what 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 states do you play when you play cash online? I think when I come back to it, because I've been just focusing on the streaming and and the YouTube and the content. So I think when I come back, I'm actually probably going to do uh, a coaching for, for profit uh, partnership with uh, one of the guys on my stream team. I'm going to get his coach. He's currently playing 200 to 1,000 NL, and I think we're going to do like. 50 K hands at 50 NL, they're probably hundred K hands at hundred NL. And then I'll probably be good to just kind of hop in whatever game. Uh, when I was playing the most in my career, I would play 400 NL was my main game. I would occasionally take shots at 600 NL, one K NL, two K NL very rarely. Um, and kind of 400 NL was the sweet spot. I think these days, if I were to, if, if I were to be playing cash full time, I think my main game would probably just be 200 NL. You know, you can win big enough stacks, but it's not too stressful. And then if the games were really good at, you know, four up, I might take some shots at them. Um, but I think I'd probably, you know, sit around 100 NL, 200 NL would probably be the sweet spot for me. And what would be your advice for somebody who's mainly a tournament player that wants to dip into the cash? Read your book first. (laughs) Reading the book will definitely be good. It'll give you a really uh, solid foundation. Um, Jonathan's book's fantastic too. I think that the main thing I would offer, you know, if you're going to get into cash games, other than, you know, um, reading the book, watching some quizzes, getting the fundamentals down, is just set hand goals and say, I want to play 10,000 hands. And then check in because if we don't have those hand targets, it's really easy to get caught up in the variance. Be like, how did I do this session? How did I do that session? Oh, I want a couple buy-ins. I'm awesome. I I lost four (laughs) buy-ins. I don't even know why I play poker. Why do I even do this? Whereas if you just commit to saying, I'm going to play 10,000 hands, which is why with this coach, I think I'm going to just commit to playing 200,000 hands and get 10 coaching sessions during it. Cause that's just what I need to reprime my mind. Um, 
if you commit to that amount of hands, then you give yourself enough of a sample that you can get a feel for it. And you say, whatever's going on, I'm going to get through my 10,000 hands and then I'm going to check how I'm doing. And then after that, maybe set a new goal of, you know, 10,000 is good. Uh, maybe I want to go for another 10 or I could do more. Maybe I'll do 20. And I would go with monthly hand goals, mm-hmm. monthly hand goals. And with that, maybe then plan some amount of either coaching sessions to have someone, you know, kind of check in on you or some time where you want to run hands and solvers, if that's your thing, or some time that you want to watch videos and say, I don't even think a ton of studies necessary, but say, okay, I'm going to play 2,500 hands a week. I'm going to put eight hours playing a couple hours on studying, try to learn one new concept and then just have a schedule. And also I would encourage having set hours because if you know, this is the time when you feel your best, whether it's post-workout, whether it's after a good night's rest or a nap and having some coffee and kind of that's what gets you in the zone. Um, or it's in the evening when you know the games might be a little juicier and you stick with that, then you know, okay, this is my poker time. Your body knows, your mind knows, and you can kind of get into a performance mode. And I would also um, set a time limit on the sessions. I'd probably start with two hours. I don't think when I was really playing cash, everyone passed four because I knew that I would start to drop off at four. So I would usually say set a cap at two hours to start and choose the days that you want to play and just get in there. Because the beauty about cash games is you can get in and you can get out. And if you um, scope out the networks before you hop in, you can kind of get a feel for when the volume is high, when the traffic's high and say, okay, this is the time that I want to play. Like when I was doing it full time, I would say from noon to four, it's my first session of the day because I'm playing with Europeans and I know that's their evening and they're the most tables running then. But I'm also going to sometimes do a session from 8 p.m. to 11 p.m. because that's when it's nighttime in Europe, like way late. And some of them have been drinking. There might only be a couple of tables going, but they'll probably be pretty good. (laughs) And once you get in the games, I would try to label the players as quickly as possible. Because then when you're choosing your tables, you can see, oh, this is just a bunch of regulars. There's no value in me playing that game unless you want to challenge yourself that day. And once you have all the regulars labeled, well, anyone who shows up who doesn't have a label, if they're not multi-tabling, get there. You'd be like, okay, that's a good game. Uh, Good thing about cash is you don't need a rush to get in there. I would take my time setting up sessions. I would take my time finding the best games and say, okay, Mm -hmm. if I can four table, I'm going to look at 12 tables. And once I find the best four, I'm going to get in them. Or I might start with the the decent ones, but as soon as the seat opens up on the better one, I'm bringing that one in and taking out my, my, my worst game so that I maximize, so that you can maximize your hourly rate by progressively trying to get in the best games if they're available. Um, yeah, that's kind of the whole. What's your parameters for choosing the best game? Uh, how many? Um, I mean, I'm just going to use the terminology that I that I'm just <laughs> using. How, how many fish or maniacs are on the table? <laughs> yeah. Right? How many? How many people are beeping huge? How many people are dumping money? And can I get good position on them? If there are, let's say it's a six-handed game and there are two fish on the table, I want in the game. I don't really care where I have to sit. If there is only one fish on the table, if I can get position on them or two seats over, I'll take it. But if I am on their far right and everyone else is lined up on their left, then I'm not going to take it. I'm trying to, I don't know exactly what page it's on, but we have a diagram in the book about the Jesus seat (laughs) and, and showing like kind of on average, what percentage of the money 
Yeah, here, here, here. It's uh, it's on page 282, Jim, if you want to pull it yep, up. Yep, I'm pulling 281, it up 282. And it's like, if you can... <laughs> If you yeah, can get yeah. if you can get the good seat, get on the game. Because even if there's only one bad player, if you have the best position on them, you're great. But if everyone else is acting before you, then it's no good. Um, and also keep an eye on what regulars are in there. If, if someone's being really aggressive and just three-betting you a ton and making it really difficult, the game might not be worth being in. So, great. yeah. Great, yeah. great advice. Thank you. Okay. You're uh, welcome, Kim. Chris, you had a question as well. Why don't you jump in there? Yeah, Evan, I'm just a, I'm a big fan. I've really enjoyed uh, some of the things you do. So it's, it's exciting to talk to you. And I, I really liked, I liked what you did with marbles and the Venom tournament this past year. I thought that was really great. Um, it was <laughs> yes. really fun to follow. And it was really fun to see somebody get into that experience just through that uh, thing. But my question is, is uh, back to cash games. Um, sure. You know, all of these sites are uh, sort of introducing and pushing um, you know, whether it's ACR has blitz and I forget what it's called yeah. in poker stars, but it's like the one, the one where basically like you fold and you're on a new table, you yeah. fold you at a new table. Yeah. Um, what is, are these in terms of like, uh, recreational players and your overall expectation, is this like a fun format go for it? Or is this like not really the kinds of formats we should be jumping into if we're wanting to sort of dip our toe in the water of like some cash games. Like what, what is your thought on, on just that, that game format basically? Okay. okay. So I have, I think two reasons why I'm not a huge fan of the game format. And then I guess maybe one reason that I am um, the first reason I'm not a huge fan of the format. I mean, I didn't come up playing zoom rush didn't exist when I first started. It came out a few years later, but you don't get to know who your opponents are. Mm -hmm. So you can't develop any reads. So you can't really develop what your counter strategies are. And a big part of the fun for me in poker is profiling my opponent and getting to know my opponent and getting a feel for their tendencies so I can figure out what my strategy is, right? We have a third of the book is on knowing your opponents and the cast of characters and who they are and how to adjust to them. So that's the first reason that I'm not a huge fan of them. Um, the second reason I'm not a huge fan of them is because the pace is so fast that it can like... It, it can kind of just disrupt the natural rhythm, disrupts the natural expectation. Um, sometimes it can get you to think you need to act fast or not. Like when, when it first came out on the inside, it, it, you want to know what it was known as? <laughs> it, was, it was called poker crack. <laughs> it was called poker crack because like, oh, you could just get your hit. Like, I don't need this hand. Let me wait till I have something good. Let me wait till I have something. Oh, there it is. Now I got something good. But now I'm like super engaged in the hand. So I find that sometimes that can lead to over committing a bit when we do finally decide to play a hand. Um, we tend to be more selective about the hands that we play. But then once we get involved, there's a bit more like, oh, man, like I got to see this through to the end. Because also, if, if I fast fold, I don't even get to see what happens. Right. <laughs> so those are the two reasons I'm not um, a, a huge fan. And then the reason that I am a fan is because of the ability to get in a lot of volume. So if, if you're someone who's looking to put in a hundred thousand hands a month or, you know, more, well, zoom rush blitz Russian cash, whatever you want to call it zone. They got all the names is a great thing because it allows you to get in a lot of volume. I, my understanding is your game has to be like airtight, razor sharp to really be able to, um, 
do well in that format because you're kind of playing readless. So you kind of got to play optimal in every, in every single spot. And because it's happening faster, if, if you're playing, you know, a suboptimal style, you're probably going to get chopped up much more quickly hmm. than you would in, in, in another game. And um, yeah, so I think it's, it's a fine like training tool. And, you know, if I get back into this and I do this challenge, I am going to be using it as my training tool. But once I'm done the training, I think I want to go back to normal games because it's a, it's a better pace. It's more control. And, you know, when I play poker, if, if I want more speed, if I want more action, I'll load up a few more tables mm-hmm. for me. It's, it's really fast. And I find that, you know, if you, if you didn't start with it, it can feel pretty overwhelming pretty quickly. And especially if you're multi-tabling it, it can just be like a little too much. So I personally, uh, if I was just playing, you know, once in a while, I probably wouldn't go on those tables. I probably wouldn't go in there. It's, you know, if you're like, oh, I just kind of want, want to get my fix quick, I'll get in there. But is, is that the reason that you want to be playing is the question. And if it is okay. But, um, I think usually for, you know, even recreationals, if you're a serious recreational, that's not why you're playing poker. Not playing to get your fix. You're you're looking for the mental challenge, the mental engagement that comes with the game, and and that comes when you're sitting there and watching hands and figuring things out and putting the pieces of the puzzle together. You just don't get to do that in blitz because you don't get to see what happens in any hand. So that's my thoughts on it. What do you think, Chris? Do you kind of kind of kind of feel the same? Or yeah, I mean, I, that's been my uh, you know, I know a lot of people kind of get really engaged with it but it's like I've, I've never really i mean i've tried it a few times at like like a really low buy-in just to kind of see what it's like but i'm not i'm not a fan either but i was curious about you know somebody who's written a book on cash games kind of what your take was on it as well yeah, hmm. yeah. well we uh, it's amazing we're already 40 minutes into this interview this has been feels like the fastest interview we've done here in a long time so i, I want to honor the time that uh, you've made available to us um, but Evan, we're gonna have to come, we're gonna have to have you back on the show sometime soon because I want to talk more about cash games. I want to talk to you about the triple threat and how we can un- unleash that on our opponents. And uh, oh, Dave, do we not have time for more questions now? Well, well let, let's let's talk. Let's see if anyone else has anything here in the chat. Type it up, we and we'll squeeze, get it in there. If we could squeeze a couple more in while we're here, we might as well. All right, that's the attitude. I love it. Yeah, well, t- t- talk a little bit about the triple threat. Talk about how important those concepts are and why people that don't aren't thinking about it are just never going to take that next big step in poker okay the triple the triple threat was basically my attempt to simplify poker into its core parts so it's easier to remember because you know the more the more different things there are to remember the harder it is to remember that's why we group the hands into specific groups that's that's why we you know group numbers together that's why we group letters together the 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 fewer elements we have to remember the easier it is for us to remember and apply them in flow um, so the triple threat consists of three elements. First is position. Second is selection. Third is aggression. Sometimes it's position, aggression, selection, mix up the order, but position is, is super important because you get to act last. You get the last decision on every street. You get more information. You get to make a bet when the stakes are the highest. The more I play poker, the more I realize, wow, position is so valuable. And as the stacks get deeper, position becomes even more valuable because that last bet might be for an even higher amount relative to the pot size than it would be when stacks are shallow. So position 
Number one, I even went so far as to call the button the money chip because that's the chip where you make the most money. And if you look at any poker tracker database, most of the money is going to be made when on the button relative to the other seats. So it really is just that valuable. Um, next up is selection. And for me, that's really all about setting yourself up to be on the right side of coolers. It's about dominating your opponent's range more than being dominated by their range, such that when you both hit a pair, you both hit a flush draw, you both hit a flush, you both hit trips, whatever it is, you're going to be on the on the winning side of it more often than not. You're going to have the best of it more often than not. And by practicing good selection pre-flop, it makes the post-flop decisions much easier because you say, oh, okay, when we get into a cooler situation, I'm on the winning side of it more often than not. So I don't have to worry about being too cautious here. I can be more comfortable with getting the money in. Um, selection is also just about picking your best candidates that you're going to use for bluffs because they have the right properties, You know, be it blockers is the big popular one or the bonus of being suited. And it's really about playing when you have two hands to choose from choosing the better one uh, in GTO. It's called, you know, not using dominated strategies. And so like, if you can have ACE three offset or ACE three suited, but you can only play one of them you play the ACE three suited. Right. And, and selecting the best hands that you you're going to play given the situation, how many hands you, hands you can play. And the final piece to aggression is the betting. You know, the final piece of the triple threat is aggression, which is all about the betting. And it's because at the end of the day, my experience in poker has been, if you're a better better than your opponents, you're better at betting, you're, you're going to win already. You know, the, the cards are there as the backup. The cards serve to guide and the cards serve to, you know, uh, help you choose what situations you can get involved in. But if you know how to bet better than your opponents, you know how to keep putting the pressure on every time you bet, you give your opponent a chance to make a mistake. And if you're comfortable with aggression, whether it's using huge over bets and min bets, you have a lot of flexibility and you have a lot of ways where you can just lead your opponent to make a mistake. Um, another thing about aggression is it's something that is sometimes difficult to handle. So it's something that makes other people uncomfortable, often at the poker table. So when used wisely, again, you're going to make your opponents feel uncomfortable. They're more likely to make mistakes. But by playing in position, I kind of think of it as, you know, if, if you're in a, a battle or a war, playing in position is like having the higher ground. You can see more. You got a better view. You're going to make better decisions. So positions where you start, kind of selection is having the right weapons to use. And then aggression is, is using them properly. Um, you know, nice. you put them together and you have the best chance to win the war. I love that. Uh, two two quick questions here in the chat. Uh, what are some of your favorite places to play live poker in, in Ontario place. or worldwide? Uh, favorite place to play live poker in Ontario is Niagara Falls because I just love Niagara Falls. I, I like what Port Perry's doing. You know, they got a nice poker room now. It's more it's more open. It's changed a lot from how it was before. Uh, Montreal, I know, is a great room. Just when I've gone there, I went to play the WPT and I just bricked off way too much, way too many times. Because I was done, I was like, oh, I'll just go play at 3,500 and not sell action and fire three bullets. That was a great idea. So because I've had a few negative experiences in Montreal, I'm just like, that's not my spot. I've had really positive experiences at Niagara Falls, particularly Falls View, but then I just love the little township of Niagara. So for me, Niagara's number one. Um, on the West Coast, BC where they had the BC poker classic. So I think the uh, river rock casino, that was a cool spot. And then uh, internationally, uh, if we're talking Vegas, it's gotta be the win. 
Mm. The win, the win's the nicest poker room and the encore just like by far, they're just better. I remember the first time I played a daily there just a couple of years ago, I was like, why have I just only been playing at the Rio for the past eight years? Like, <laughs> has this been here the whole time? Or friends are like, yeah, I'm like, huh, I, I, I needed. Uh, okay. Well, I'm glad I know now. So I love playing there. And then international, international. I think the poker room at the hard rock in Punta Cana is really, really, really cool. Didn't get to play a ton there. It's a small room. Um, but when I went there for the Punta Cana poker classic with ACR and they had some cash games, like I got pictures of Jay-Z and like all the rock stars. And it's just like <laughs> really five-star fancy place. I'm like, I wish I lived on this resort and I did my stream from a hotel room during the day and I could play poker here in the nighttime and just live on the resort. This would be the bomb. So um, <laughs> those are my, and, and the, the, the games there and the games in like Central America and stuff, they're just kind of crazy. So Oh yeah. I have been to South America. I went to Peru. I won a tournament there. That was one of my like three tournament wins. So I have, yeah, I've, I've done them. I've done all the continents, but I want to go back. Nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Chris says he had the same reaction at the win. I have heard from a bunch of other play, uh, people that it's, it's a phenomenal place. Uh, maybe I'll get down there this summer. Um, Stuart asked, when you sit down at a cash table, do you prefer to buy in and have the largest stack covered? Okay. So this is something that we talk about in the book. And I used to think, yeah, you want to have the biggest stack. You want to have everyone covered because you know that's what we're taught in the original stuff. If you're the best player at the table, you want to be able to play for the most money. And what I learned from playing for a longer period of time was that one, you can always add chips to the table, but you can't take them off. So if you buy in for the max and you realize you shouldn't have bought them for the max, there's nothing you can do about it. But if you buy in for the min... And then you realize it might make sense to have more chips. You can do that. So I like to buy in for not the max right away. That's one reason. Another reason is that, you know, if I'm going to a new place to play cards, I don't necessarily want to draw attention to myself being like, look at me, I'm a high roller. Let me buy in big. And the few mm -hmm. times I did do that and I was trying to be cocky were the, um, were the worst sessions I've ever had. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I dumped, you know, five, six K at a five, 10 game because I was trying to show that, you know, I was the man with my big stack and I make mistakes because I was sitting deep in the wrong position, or maybe I wasn't the best player at the table. Maybe I was the second best, but maybe it was the third best. I don't know. And the reason why we don't necessarily want to buy in for the max right away is let's say I'm in seat one and no, I'm in seat. Yeah. I'm in seat one and seat two has the most chips on the table. Let's call it a uh, thousand bucks at one, two. And everyone else has 80 bucks, 100 bucks, 120 bucks. For any amount I buy in over 120, I am playing the same amount versus the players I have position on. And I'm playing deep stacked against the one person who has position on me. So I'm increasing the size of my disadvantage versus the player who has position on me while getting no additional advantage on anyone else. Whereas if the seats are reversed and I have position on that player, yeah, I want to have the deepest stack. So what I like to do when I'm in a cash game is buy in for, you know, an average amount, not the min, but not the max, you know, maybe, maybe a hundred blinds I'm pretty comfortable with. That's what I like to start with and see what's going on at the table. If the only players who are really deep stacked, you'll see this a lot at Falls View or, or Niagara now, the 2-5 game, who are deep are the regs and the pros. Well, there's no real need to play deeper stacked with them, especially if you're out of position versus them. But if you see that one of the guys who's sitting really deep is someone who is definitely going to give it away, well, you want to buy in for a bigger stack. So you have the opportunity to get more of those chips when you play hands with that player. So it's important to recognize where are the deep stacks on the table 
who are the players who are holding the deep stacks? What's your position relative to everyone? And then based on that, decide, do I want to buy in for the max or for something else? And by starting your session, buying in for it less than the max, you always have the option to add chips. But if you buy in for the max right away and you realize that was a mistake, there's nothing you can do to change that. So uh, really important to get the lay of the land before just insta buying in for the max. Now I'll always keep four or five reloads in my pocket. Mm. And if I sit in with a hundred blinds and I said, that's my stack and I lose, uh, you know, let's say I'm playing two, five and I lose a pre-flop race. I'm topping up for another 25, 25 bucks. I'm getting back to my hundred bags. I'm not going to play the 80 blind, 60 blind stacks. I have the minimum that I want to have and play with, which is usually hundred big blinds. So I'll be topping up constantly, but if I'm going to do a big top up, maybe go for the table max, there's going to be a reason that I do it. Um, yeah. What a great answer. I love the nuance uh, involved in that and like looking left and looking right and thinking about who else has the big stacks and are those the people you want to be uh, leveraging against? Um, that's yeah. fantastic. This whole interview, I, I, I really want to just go play some live cash right now. We got to find, I got to find some in this dark hole of Ontario, Southern Ontario right now. I got to go let's, find let's some. Let's go to Port Perry, man. Yeah. The room's open. Or Seriously. Is it open yet? I mean, I think, I mean, they said, they, they said it was opening. We've got, all right, you, we're going to connect offline, Evan. We're going to go find it. some cash games, man. I'm looking okay, forward to man. that. <laughs> I'll go play. I can pick up some spring water on the way. That's one of my hippie uh, things that I like to do is get fresh spring water. There's a place nice. Chalk Lake up there. Fill there up a couple go. hundred liters of jugs. Get that free water. Yes. All water. right. Little wreck poker road trip. Port Perry. Look out. Look out. It's coming. I'm going to do it. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks, Evan. Uh, I really appreciate your time today and coming and dropping all this knowledge on us. This is phenomenal. Um, I, I think we're going to have to have you back or maybe get you involved in some of our premium uh, training material for some of our members here, because uh, I know you, you, you think about poker the same way that we do. You have all this great knowledge to share. Um, and I just, uh, everyone just loves watching your videos and working with you on this kind of stuff. So congratulations on all your success in the poker world. And, and thanks again. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate you having me. It's and where great. can, where can people find you uh, if they want to connect? What's the best place? Twitter or social media or email or what's the yeah, best so, place? Yeah, so fortunately, Twitter gave me my handle back. <laughs> oh, right. I had had it lost for a while and they finally gave it to me back. So I am Grips on all platforms. G-R-I-P-S-E-D uh, on YouTube. You got 500 free videos. Twitch, I'm streaming every Friday and Sunday. Sometimes I had more. As Chris knows, I did 40 days and 40 nights of streaming marbles for a bit there because mm -hmm. I want to do something different and super fun. Uh, Twitter, I'm Grips. Facebook, I'm Grips, although we don't really use it. And Instagram, I'm Grips. I would, and my website's Grips.com. So I would say YouTube for the videos. Twitter's where I'm the most active. Twitch, I'm always streaming twice a week. And then for anyone who's wanting to like learn more deeply, I make videos for uh, PokerCoaching.com with Jonathan Little. And I you know, put up two new quizzes every week. So that's where I have the most premium content constantly flowing out. And of course, awesome. you know, we got the, we got the book, which is on Amazon and also on DNB. So you can just look me up, search me up. Grips, Devin Jarvis, they'll both lead. All roads lead to me. All roads lead to Grips. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. You're a hard man not to find in the folk yeah. world. So uh, yeah, look him up folks. And uh, yeah, Evan, I hope this isn't the last chance we get to uh, cross paths. I'm looking forward to that. Cool, Joe. Thanks again. All right. Well, uh, John Somsky is going to take us through our home game results and uh, we'll talk a little bit about some community happenings. I know on March 30th, if you're listening to this, it's going to come out on Tuesday, uh, March 22nd. So you've got a week 
to uh, get ready for our mixed game demo on March 30th, which will be at 7.30 Eastern, 6.30 Central uh, with Jake from Unshuffled. He's going to use his Unshuffled platform to uh, do a little demonstration of Limit Hold'em. And uh, every month we'll have a new demonstration from Jake on uh, the third Wednesday of the month. But this one is on March 30th, so come and check that out. And uh, John, think, speaking of uh, Limit Hold'em, that's the mixed game next month. What's been going on in the home game uh, so far and recently? Oh, and he has Somskied himself, folks. We are official. We got the mute on. It is, it's as regular as my missing the audio cues on the podcast. There he goes. Bring it in, buddy. Well, you know, I have only done this a few hundred times. So you've done it more often than I, I haven't have. figured it out how to do it just yet. <laughs> and it, I was just, you know, it, I, it, there was so much energy coming from it. I just, I didn't know how, what to do with it all. S- such a uh, great interview there. <laughs> anyway, the mixed game series, we played PLO this month and MN Ted, Bill Fuhrer got his first mixed game victory for the year. Second lifetime uh, on our daily series, evil Roy CA, David Westerfeld, hey, got his third nightly victory for the year. 10th all time creeping up. Stewie 13, Stuart Car- Carriage, got his second nightly victory for the year. <laughs> M. Babker, Michael Babker, got his first for the year. Now then, KB, Doug Barron, got Barons. his first nightly victory for the year. And not to be outdone, Evil Roy CA. Okay, so the first time, that was his second nightly victory for the year. <laughs> then this one was his third nightly victory for the year. Look at all these premium members racking up the points in the home games. That's what happens when you stick around and enjoy the seminars and all the learning strategy conversations we have. You get to start destroying our home game field. Nicely done, team. And then on March 12th, we had Fergie 56, Kim Kilroy. Oh, my God. Won the Daily Mixed victory uh practice tournament and that one was actually limit hold'em so she knows not only no limit hold'em but also limit hold'em <laughs> look out and then for international events johnny quattro got his first international victory and then oh not my God. to be outdone evil roy ca david westerveld got his Whoa. second international victory so that's three wow, victories in one week that's three wow. in a week that's, that might be a record a week, man yeah, I, way to go, Dave. I think that might be. I, I'm i guessing it's been done before, but I don't think anyone's gotten four. Mm. So, I mean, not even mm-hmm. uh, Megra not, when he right. was having his run. No, so, uh, we've had a couple back-to-backs. but That man. one was back-to-back, too, by the way. <laughs> yeah, back yeah. Back. Sunday was back. It was a Saturday. Was back-to-back. Yep, yep. <laughs> Those were both on Saturday. Wow. And uh, then LPP Sunday event, Glassjaw 222. Or 2222, Dave Shun won the LPP tournament. So you can co- contact Jim at rec.poker and get your free month at Learn Pro Poker. There you go. Thanks, John. And yeah, don't be a stranger. If you win that Sunday night tournament, you get a free month at LPP. So look me up. Um, we're getting a little short on time. We should probably just roll on out of here. I want to thank our sponsors again, uh, Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino and website AMP. And of course, I want to thank Rob, Keith, Kim, uh, Jim, Martha, Steve, Dave, John, Chris, Eric, and Stuart. Of course, Evan Jarvis for joining us and Steve Fredlin for putting all this together. And you, the listeners, we can't do it without you. So thanks a lot. And we'll see you again soon.